Good morning, junior girls. Hey, that was probably the best that I've heard you guys. So nice job. Happy Friday. It is crazy. We are already here. I don't know about you guys, but this week has flown by. Probably for some of the girls, you're like, we just got here. And some of the counselors, you're like, we are ready to go home. So I hope you guys have a great last day. It's been a joy to open up God's word with you. And I am looking forward to what we are going to talk about today. Like we've done the past few days, we are going to start by reviewing, making sure my clicker's on. So let's read our three anchor points together. Anchor point number one, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is imperative. Anchor point number two, our value and identity is rooted in being intentionally created in God's image. And anchor point number three from yesterday, our speech is directly related to our heart attitude before Christ. Awesome. I would like you guys to open up to Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six. Our key question for this whole week has been, what brand are you writing for in life? Are you choosing to follow Christ? Are you choosing to do what he wants you to do and your life changes as a result of that? Or are you choosing to follow the world and what you want in life? So our anchor point today is that our relationship with Christ should be our number one treasure and our top priority. So if you have accepted Christ as your savior, once you've made that decision, and you're growing to become more like him, your life is changing so that you look more like him, so that you're an effective ambassador for Christ, your relationship with him should be your number one treasure and your top priority. Our relationship with Christ then should be the framework that influences our decisions, activities, relationships, and priorities. Basically, you could sum all of that up as it should affect every area of your life. So what is a treasure? Well, according to the dictionary, a treasure is wealth. What is stored up because of its value? Now, something that has value is worth something to you. You don't want to lose it. You always want to know where it was. This morning, after the counselor meeting, somehow I left my phone downstairs in the basement of Jensen, and one of you blessed counselors gave it to the dean, and she came to me, here, Lisa, here's your phone. Apparently, I did not treasure my phone this morning because I left it and didn't even realize I had taken it downstairs to the bottom of Jensen. So that's not how you treat a treasure. You just don't leave it there and forget about it and have no clue where you put it. You know where it is, you treasure it, you value it because it's worth something to you. So I want you guys to think about what are some of your treasures. Now, probably in the Wild West back in the day with our theme, there was the gold rush. Gold was their treasure. They all moved from the eastern part of the United States way out to the west because they all wanted to get gold. That was something they valued. It was worth something to them. Pirates, what did they want? They wanted to get treasure off the ships, whether that was jewels, whether that was gold, whether that was money. They had a treasure. So what are your treasures? It's probably going to look different for each one of us. We all have different personalities. We all have different interests. So our treasures are probably going to be different. Our treasures are going to be what we spend our time on, maybe what we collect, 
Maybe it's the people we hang out with. Maybe it's the activities that we do. So our treasures, for some of you, might be your friends. Maybe your friends, you think in your mind, are the most important thing. You always want to spend time with them. You always want to hang out with them. You want to be like them. You want to influence them, like we talked about at the beginning of the week. You want to do everything in life that revolves around your friends. Now, friends are really important, but they shouldn't be our top treasure. Maybe for some of you, it's school. Now, some of you are probably rolling your eyes and like, are you kidding me? But there are some of you who love school. You want to get straight A's. You want to do every assignment perfectly. Your handwriting always has to be exactly on the lines. Some of you love school. That's your treasure. For a lot of you, it's probably sports. You're in multiple different sports teams, playing on different clubs. I know some of the kids in my fifth grade class, they were playing two or three sports teams at a time. Sports are your treasury. Winning has to be your thing. Maybe for some of you, it's clothes and fashion. You want to have the latest pair of shoes, or you want to have the coolest earrings, or you want to have that brand new sweatshirt from your favorite store. You want to look like everybody else, so clothes and fashion are your treasure. Our big idea to start out with is you choose what treasure you pursue. Now, pursue means to run after. You chase after it. That is what you're going for. You're going at top-notch speed so you can get there. So you choose what treasure you pursue. So let's go to Matthew 6, and we're going to read verses 19 through 24, and then we're going to skip and read verse 33. Verse 19 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And then skipping down to verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So our big idea that we're going to start off with, you choose what treasure you pursue. In verses 19 through 21, it compares and contrasts treasures in heaven and treasures on earth. So you can choose to pursue earthly treasure or heavenly treasure. Earthly treasure would be the things we just talked about. Sports, school, friends, video games, the way you spend your time, fashion. All those things are here on earth. I hate to break it to you, but in 10 years, that favorite sweatshirt that you always wanted, it's not going to fit anymore. That ribbon that you won for track and field day in fourth grade, in 10 years, you're going to probably be like, uh, that ribbon's in a box somewhere, maybe? Or maybe your mom already threw it away. Those earthly treasures aren't going to last. What's a heavenly treasure? A heavenly treasure is what's going to last for forever. Mrs. Nyhart has talked about this earlier this week. The concept of eternity boggles our mind. 
Because if we've accepted Christ as our Savior, we're going to live with him forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. There's going to be no end. And as human beings, we can't understand that. But heavenly treasure is going to last for forever and ever and ever and ever. So what is heavenly treasure? Heavenly treasure is growing your relationship with Christ. As a believer, as someone who's accepted Christ as your Savior, it's spending time with him. It's growing in your knowledge of him, getting to know God more. You know, your friends that you like to hang out with, do you just stop getting to know them? No. You want to know what they like. You want to know what they like to do. You like to know their sense of humor. You get to know your friends. That's the same way it is with God. We should want to get to know God. We should want to get to know him better so that way we can effectively be ambassadors for him. Heavenly treasure also looks like not only spending time with God in our own relationship with him, but then taking what we know about God and sharing it with others so that way they can have a personal relationship with Christ. It's sharing the gospel with them so that they too, if they want to make that decision, can accept Christ as their savior. Colossians 3, 1 through 2 says, if then you have been raised with Christ, that's kind of a phrase meaning if you have accepted Christ as your savior, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things that are above not on things that are on earth. Heavenly treasure is perfect. We see that in verse 19. It says in the treasures on earth that moth and rust will destroy them, where thieves might break in and steal them. Verse 20 says, Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. I mentioned this a little bit already, But the things that you value right now, they're not going to last for forever. Heavenly treasure is perfect. It's never going to get old. It's never going to wear out. It's never going to break down. It's never going to be destroyed. But that earthly treasure, it will be broken down and destroyed in verse 20. Heavenly treasure will last forever. It's going to last for eternity. It's never going to fade away. But earthly treasure will end. You know, some of your friends that you have now, 10 years down the road, it's kind of sad to say, but you might not even remember some of their names because your friends won't always be there with you in life. Some of your favorite activities that you do when you're my age, you probably won't be able to play basketball as well as you do now. It's just a fact of life. So you have a choice where you're going to put your treasure. Are you going to just be so focused on the here and now? Or are you going to realize that, you know what, my relationship with Christ should be my number one priority and should be most important. And so I'm going to put time into that now so that way when I am 20, 30, 40, 50 years old, I can know Jesus a whole lot better and a whole lot deeper than I did when I was a junior girl camper. Another idea I wanted to talk about is your emotions reveal what your heart values. In verse 21 of Matthew 6, it says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Last night, I went to the basketball tournament. I was actually selfishly proud of my girls from my church because they won. But when you're in a sports event, it's really clear to see that that's where a lot of people's hearts are because it comes out in their emotions, whether that's their enthusiasm on the court 
their excitement. Or sometimes that's also in a sinful way when maybe the ref makes a call that you really don't agree with. So what's the temptation to do? Throw a fit, maybe say some nasty things back to the ref. Oh, they don't know what they're talking about. They didn't actually see that right. That reveals what your heart values. Maybe it's, you know, your friend that you thought was your best friend. Maybe they start hanging out with somebody else. And that can kind of hurt. But maybe then you start gossiping about them. Oh, this person, they left me and now they're hanging out with so-and-so and that's not very kind and whatever. That shows what your heart values, that you're valuing your friends over Jesus. Our second big idea is you can't have multiple treasures that are number one in your life. You can't have multiple treasures that are number one in your life. In verse 24, it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. That's some pretty strong language that Matthew uses here. You can't serve two masters, for either you will hate one and love the other. That's black and white differences right there. So you can't have multiple treasures that are number one in your life. Anything that competes with God for the number one important spot in your life is an idol. And as I was studying this passage, that honestly really convicted me. Because I think sometimes we get so wrapped up in our day-to-day busyness and craziness and things we have to do and places we have to go that God kind of gets swept off to the side. And we say, oh, yeah. I forgot I didn't get time to read my Bible today. I should do that in the five minutes I have before bedtime. Which five minutes is better than no minutes, but it shows a lack of priority in your relationship with Christ. And when you call it an idol, like, oof, that that hits you. I think sometimes in our Christian cultures, we think, oh yeah, an idol is what Aaron made in the Old Testament when he made the golden calf for the Israelites to worship. We would never worship an idol. Or maybe that's where some other cultures and countries of the world, that's what they worship. But we don't have idols in our culture. A few years ago, I went to Japan on a mission trip. And the Eastern cultures are cultures completely different than anything we can know. And we actually went to this idol, the giant Buddha. And it was heartbreaking to see because there was these people who had come from all around the world all around Japan, they would rearrange their entire life schedules for that week, that day, however much time they needed to get to this idol, and they would go and they would worship it. This idol was probably as tall as the climbing tower by the lake, and it is solid stone. And when the makers of this idol, when they made it and they fashioned it, they purposely made the eyes in a certain way so that it made it seem like they were looking down on the people as they were coming to worship. People would come, they would bring fruit. In Japan, Japan, uh, fruit is like the most prized food there. So they would bring fruit to offer to this idol. They would get on their knees. They would pray to this idol. They would worship it. And actually, on the backside of this idol is a staircase that goes underneath the ground. They would go down underneath the ground, and it was all dark 
It smelled really weird because they would take candles and herbs and incense and they would offer that to this idol. And so that's what we tend to think of as an idol. But an idol is anything that takes the place of God. In the Japanese culture, this was their idol. Their relatives, it sounds very strange, but they would actually worship their family members. So this was the Japanese version of an idol. But idols for us could be sports. It could be we're so focused on sports, we want to sign up for every club team that, you know what, all those games are on Sundays and so we just can't go to church. It could be an idol in the fact that if you never get your way in sports, you always throw a fit about it and have a bad attitude. And so your unsaved teammates, they never know that you're a Christian because you talk like them and you act like them. It could be your phones or social media. This was something that I was even thinking about when I wake up in the morning. What's oftentimes my first thought? Oh, I should check my text messages to see if anything came in. And it shows that hmm, my heart is more concerned about my relationships out here than my relationship with Christ. Maybe an idol for you is reading. Now, I love to read. Books are great. I think we don't read enough, actually. But if you're so focused in your books that you're reading, but you never read God's word, that's an idol. Because it's taking the number one spot of God in your life. Exodus 20, 3 through 5, this is part of the Ten Commandments. It says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Our God that we serve, he's a jealous God, and we're going to read that in the end part of this verse. But God wants to spend time with us. Just like you get a little jealous when your friend goes and spends time with somebody else and not you, that's sometimes how God feels. Because he wants to spend time with us. He wants us to get to know who he is. He wants us to go closer with him. So he says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. So in the Ten Commandments, God tells us what not to do. Don't have any other gods before me. Don't let any of your priorities or your treasures on earth take the place over me. But in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 38, he contrasts that with don't do this, but do this. He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Those words all in there that appear three times, that's really convicting. Because it doesn't say you shall love the Lord your God with a little bit of your heart, a little bit of your soul, and a little bit of your mind. No, it says all, everything, the entirety of it. So that should be your number one thing. I want to know God better. I want to love him more with everything that I am and with everything that I have. He says this is the great and first commandment, the most important thing. So when multiple things are competing for the most important spot in your life, someone or something will get neglected. You can't do everything all the time. You can't have multiple things be your number one thing. We already talked about this a little bit with some of our different interests and hobbies. When those things become all-consuming, 
Oftentimes it's our relationship with Jesus that sits on the shelf and, oh yeah, five minutes before bed, oh yeah, I probably should read my Bible a little bit. He gets neglected. He doesn't get its proper place because everything else is becoming more important. When other things are more important than God, it will cause us to love God less. Or at the very least, it doesn't cause us to get to know him more. We cannot serve God and something else. Christians serve Christ alone. A lot of people will say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. But then they let all these things distract them. And they're not able to focus on what really matters. It says down in verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. That word money there, it really means anything that's worth something to you. It doesn't mean just financially. It means anything that you assign worth or value to. So money isn't just the dollar bills that you're spending at the coffee shop, but it's also what you treasure, your relationships, your hobbies, your friends. We cannot serve God and something else. Christians serve Christ alone. Now, does that mean we can't do any of those fun activities or hang out with friends or enjoy getting a new sweatshirt or new shoes? No, that's not what it means at all. But when we view God as the number one priority in our life, it should affect all of those other things. We should have a desire to use those things to glorify God. We should desire when we're on that sports team, hey, you know what? I'm going to make sure the words that come out of my mouth are kind and helpful to others so that way I can point them to Jesus. Maybe it's when you're in a relationship with a friend and they're having a really bad day. You're like, hey, can I pray with you? That's something that helps me when I'm really discouraged. It's using those treasures that you have to point others to your number one treasure. Our third big idea, every area of our lives should come second to our relationship with Christ. Verse 33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Seeking God first means that every other area of our lives should be affected by our relationship with Christ. All other area of our lives are less important than Christ. Now, when it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you, all these things will be added to you doesn't mean that your life is going to be easy. It doesn't mean that you're going to get to do whatever you want to do. It doesn't mean that everything's going to go exactly the way you thought it should go. But what it does mean is that even when the hard time comes, God's going to work it out. He's going to orchestrate the events of our lives for our good and for his glory. Now, that doesn't mean we won't ever walk through hard things, but God promises to use those hard things to make us more like him, which should be our number one goal. Our relationship with Christ will affect all the decisions that we make. When your friends ask you, hey, do you want to go to this movie? Instead of jumping in right with two feet and saying, sure, let's go, you probably should stop and think, hmm, is this movie something that's going to drag me down in my relationship with Christ? Are there things in it, are there words in it that I know that I should not say or that I shouldn't hear or think about? It should affect the decisions that we make of, hmm, I really want to try out for this sports team. 
but I know all of their games are on Sundays during church. Is that going to be a decision that I make that if I skip church all the time, am I going to become more like Jesus? Am I going to get to know him more? Are my unsaved friends on the team going to know that I'm any different than them? It should affect the decisions that we make of how we spend our time. I talked a little bit about what's my first tendency when I wake up in the morning. Is it to grab my phone and scroll through social media and text my friends? Or is it, you know, I want to spend time with God in his word and in prayer. Now, we also have to be careful that we don't turn our relationship with Christ into just a checklist of, oh, yep, I did Bible reading today, I prayed today, I thought about what I read in devotions later on in the day. At that point, you're just doing it to get it done. And if we're doing something just to get it done, are we actually learning anything? Probably not as much as we were if we were saying, you know what, I want to read my Bible this morning. I want to become more like Jesus. So we need to keep that in the back of our minds, too. We should spend time with Christ, not just because we have to or we know we should, but because we want to. You know, after camp, it's really easy to go home on what I call like a camp high or a camp mountaintop. You're like going home all fired up, ready to go. I learned all these things. I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to pray every day. I want to tell all my friends about Jesus. And then Monday morning comes along, and you're like, oh, camp was last week. What did we talk about? So then it's easy to go from this camp high to back exactly where you were before. So don't fall into that trap. I know I fell into that trap a lot as a junior girl, as a junior high camper, as a senior high camper. I went home with all these expectations and plans, and then, whoop, nothing happened. So I would encourage you today as you spend time with your cabin, maybe some of you still have 411s with your counselors, make a plan now for what you want to do when you go home. But then ask for help or we call that accountability, for somebody to check in with you. Say, hey, you said you wanted to read a chapter in the Bible every day. How's that going for you? Now, don't make it somebody that you're never going to see again or that maybe you only see once a month, but find somebody in your church, maybe a friend that's in your Sunday school class. Maybe it's your counselor that you came with. Maybe, and this is often the best form of accountability at this age, maybe it's your mom or dad. If you come from a godly Christian home saying, mom or dad at camp, I was reminded that I really want to spend time praying every day. Would you be willing to pray with me each day? I guarantee you, your parents would love to do that with you. But make a plan now so that the camp high doesn't become the camp low and God never uses it to change you. When we make our relationship with Christ the top priority, God will be faithful to honor our commitment to him. You might not necessarily see those rewards right away, but it will turn into heavenly treasure, whether that's being able to witness to unsaved friends who realize, you know what, she's a lot different than me. Maybe that's just cultivating your relationship with Christ and working through some of your sin struggles so that way you don't struggle with arguing or grumbling or complaining, maybe as often as you did before. And God will reward that. He will be faithful to you. He will bring you through the hard times. And at the end of it, Lord willing, you'll look more like Jesus. So what are your treasures? 
Are you going to choose to be distracted by all the things up here, all the things around you in this world? These are all good things. But these shouldn't be the ultimate thing. These shouldn't be the number one thing in our life. Our relationship with Christ should be. And when we make our relationship with Christ the number one thing in our life, all of those other things will fall underneath that. There's a quote that I really like that says, when we put God first, all other things fall into their proper place or they drop out of our lives. Our love of the Lord will govern the claims of our affection, the demands of our time, the interests we pursue, and the order of our priorities. That is an excellent way to just put, if we put God first, everything else will fall into its proper place. Now, when we put God first, there might be some things we have to get rid of in our lives. Maybe it's the movies that we watch. We know that those aren't glorifying to God, and so we have to get rid of them. Maybe it's a few friends that you know they constantly point you in the wrong direction. They always are making you sin, leading you down a wrong path. Maybe it's, you know what? I'm still going to be kind to them, but I'm not going to spend all my time with them. They're not going to be my best friends. But our relationship with Christ should pursue everything else. I actually wasn't planning on sharing this today, but I was reading this in my devotions this morning from Paul David Tripp's New Morning Mercies. And at the top of each daily devotional, it has like a one-sentence quote. And for today, it said, What you worship is not best shown on Sunday morning, but demonstrated by your words and behavior the rest of the week. And I was like, wow, that is a really good reminder. Some of you may think, oh, if I go to church on Sunday mornings, I got it. Boom, we're good. But that really doesn't show where your treasure is. It's how you act and the decisions you make the rest of the week, how you use your time. He later goes on to say, Worship of the one true and living God is the only place where life can be found, and worship of anything else is a pathway to doom. So today, every word you say, every choice you make, and every action you take will be shaped by some kind of worship. Nothing depicts your need for the grace of God Jesus better than the war of worship that will rage in your heart today. Some of you, even tonight, you know, when you have counselor time after chapel and you're meeting with your cabin, some of you, or even this morning, you'll want to rush through it so you can get to the next activity. And I get that. We're at camp. We want to have fun. But that shows where your heart's at. That's what he calls a war of worship. It's when you want one thing, but you know Jesus really wants you to pursue another thing. So I would encourage you to think about that as you go home. What's going to be your number one priority? What's going to be your treasure? So in review, for this whole week, we said that first a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is imperative. That's where it all starts. Everything else that we talked about this week, it really doesn't matter if we aren't settled in our heart that we know Christ is our Savior. Then we talked about our value and identity is rooted in being intentionally created in God's image. Being created in God's image affects how we view ourselves. Our speech is directly related to our heart attitude before Christ, and then our relationship with Christ should be our number one treasure and our top priority. So for the last time, what brand are you writing for? What choice are you going to make? Are you going to choose to pursue God? Are you going to choose to make him your number one treasure, your top priority? Or are you going to choose to let everything around you, 
all the earthly treasures that won't last? Are you going to choose to make those your treasure and leave no room for Jesus? Let's go ahead and pray. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you that you died on the cross, that you sent your son so that we, we could have a personal relationship with you. And I thank you that you allow us to make that choice on our own. I pray for these junior girls as they go home. I pray that they wouldn't just forget everything that they've learned, everything that they've heard. I pray that they wouldn't go home on the camp high and then nothing ever changes. But I pray that you would help them to set goals now, that they would find accountability and help and make a plan so that way this could be the launching point of an even deeper relationship with you, God. I thank you for who you are and what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.